Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care the Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Black, and joining me is an old friend, Wachiwi, um, who is a TCK, and she has just a unique experience, and who doesn't mind telling it like it is, and I thought, man, she would be great to have on the podcast, and Wachiwi, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for asking me to be on board, dude. Absolutely. Okay, now, because this is a podcast on TCKs, I have to ask you um, every TCK's favorite question, which is, which you, where are you from? Oh, my God, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I heard, like, the stereotype, like you said, is to be like, oh, no, I'm not from one place, which I'm like, bullshit. I come from a cool country. I'm not going to tell you where because I don't want you to know who I am immediately. Sure. Um, so I'm from country A. And then when I was six, moved to country B with my family. And then from country B, I moved to country C, okay. where I am living now. Okay. So you've had like a long-term relationship with three countries Two of which were like a part of your life from like the age of six. Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of travel and kind of at an early age. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the jokes that I've heard TCK say is that they learn how to fly before they learn how to walk. And mm -hmm. that was very true for one of my siblings where they were born and then mom and dad were like, oh, hey, we're going to go to country B. See mm. ya, family. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually really badass that when they were 30 years old, they took their children who were all, including me, under the age of eight yeah. and took them on a plane and to a country that they had no idea what the cultural norms were. Uh, so... Yeah, that takes a lot of courage. Um, but don't let anyone fool you like that. It was glorious and uh, that it was uh, an incredible, hearty, pioneering spirit. They they were really called by God. And um, to this day, they're still working um, in in their in their same field, not in the same location. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not it was not easy. And there are only things now that as an adult, I'm realizing about how I was raised, especially going to boarding school and to a private Christian academy um, where I realized, oh, wow, this is such such a bubble. And at the same time, I really had a huge problem with the theology and with some of the cultural tenets that yeah. we were that we were told about and also yeah. that being in said bubble meant that we weren't getting to know our neighbors around us, like the locals. Mm -hmm. um, that was, I, I paid attention to that as, as an adult. And if I were to have kids in the future, I would never send them to a boarding school. And I know that a lot of TCKs or sometimes in for TCKs, they go to boarding school pretty young. And yeah. I, I was not ready for that. Yeah. And my parents were not really ready for that, but mm -hmm. that was the best education that I could have had because of speaking English uh, with an American accent and learning um, uh, or having entered 
uh, like elementary and middle school schools for Americans in the country that I was that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So that I guess um, that kind of gets me uh, gets us rolling on our first like uh, serious question, which is, and perhaps you've already touched on this a little bit, but what was what was the hardest part of being a TCK? If there can be a hardest part for you. Or what is hard about being a TCK? You know, you can take that question any way you want to. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, as a teenager, it was really hard to be the only one of my kind. Um, I identify as brown. And even though the school that we were at was fairly diverse, it was also fairly segregated where um, the locals would eat lunch somewhere and the majority white kids would eat lunch elsewhere too. And I, I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll just float between the two because I don't really know what to do. And there wasn't, there were other guys who were around my age. Um, but I was the only girl from Mm. my country. And, Mm -hmm. Mm um, I think I related to, to some girls who were from, like similar regions as me, but um, it was hard for me to know where to belong and how to fit in and where I was in the bigger, bigger scheme of things like um, in terms of cultural references and in terms of like even knowing what looked good to wear mm. um, and feeling like I really had to, I really had to have my own back and I I felt like I had to raise myself in a sense because no one was there to help me understand this is what girls do. This is a cultural tenant of Americans. This is a mm. piece of, of this particular culture. I feel, I felt like I had to figure a lot of that out by myself mm-hmm. um, and that I had peers who, who were my friends who, we're on a similar journey to me, but um, but at the same time, not really too. The thing that was unique about uh, my situation was that me and w- one of my siblings, we had to travel back and forth from mm. the boarding school to where our family lived. And so it was really weird during Christmas break and Thanksgiving break and summer break to go back home and realized that it was a completely different animal. I mean, I remember being told when I was little where my dad said to me, hey, Wachi, we were not Americans because we were surrounded by all these different um, um, cultural traditions, but I went to school in an American school um, with Americans and we would pick up things like uh, having pizzas on Friday nights and watching a movie. And that was like a, like a pretty American thing to do. And so my dad had to clarify to me, no, we're from this country. When I was like, I don't know what that means because I didn't grow up there. Um, and then when I would go back to my home country, if we'd go back for, for vacations. So going back to country a, um, where, where I was born, people would, would, um, be upset at me or, or tell me that I wasn't a true citizen because I didn't speak my language fluently to which Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? 
speaking this language, this, this local language is not going to get me ahead in life. I mm. speak like an American. Mm. Okay. And that is going to get me up the social ladder and mm. you are going to stay here with your family and doing what mm. while I am climbing the social ladder and hopefully making more money than you. Mm. So, uh, am I, I knew as a child that I was trading out one language for another. And mm. I was the only Brown girl, um, who spoke three languages, mind you in the ele uh, elementary school that I started in, yeah. or I spoke two languages and then I added English. Yeah. And my, my, I remember my teacher telling me that I was really bright, but she also found out that as I was reading books out loud, I didn't understand what I was reading. I was just Whoa. reading it out loud. And so it, <laughs> I, it, it felt like I was always, um, the only one to experience this kind of reality of being a uh, brown female and from country A when my peers around me were not. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it was a lot to process by myself and my parents weren't, weren't particularly helpful in helping me understand this is what our culture is about. And this is how it's different from this culture. And this is how that's different from that culture. Um, I had to kind of, experiment on my own and at that loneliness piece was really hard and, and as an adult it was through therapy right now that I started to untangle like my values and how I was not ready as a middle schooler to say hey I need my family and I'm not ready actually to go to this boarding school I'm not ready because I don't even know what what my traditions are and um, and I want to spend time with you because you are my family. Um, yeah. So yeah. when when girls would like be super close with their moms, I wouldn't understand that because mm. I didn't really have that relationship with my parents. Like it was just different. Um, yeah. We loved each other and we were we were tight as a family, but I spent more time away from my parents as a teenager than I did as than I did when I was with my parents um, because we would only come back for school breaks and stuff like that. So that, that is heartbreaking to me because um, I'm someone who works with middle school and high school students and the, the de developmental age that a teenager is at, they need security and they also need to be connected to their family because yes. it is so grounding to be able to know um, what to compare values, principles, perspectives of the world to. Here I was just like thrown into chaos. Mm -hmm. And it's not that my parents like dropped me in water and said, okay, swim. They gave me a little buoy. But, uh, and that buoy was like the hostel that I lived in, um, mm -hmm. hostel slash dorm and the, the dorm parents that were there. But essentially it was, it was really hard to, to feel so alone yeah, um, and to feel like I had to grow up by myself. Yeah. And that's not fair yeah. to ask a, a child <laughs> to right. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Devel developmentally speaking, your teenage years, like according to Erickson's theory, your teenage years are where you really formalize your 
identity. It's your individuation stage, right? And so healthy attachment, healthy relationships happen when a child can go out and explore the world and figure out who they are, but then safely return home. And so having yes. that having that um, security with your family and that solid relationship and yeah, a lot of time, I would assume, like it involves time to have that, to have those mm-hmm. conversations and have that attachment. Family is so important. And yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And it wasn't like I didn't have stability there. I think that my teenage years at my school, at, at the boarding school, was some was one of the most secure times of my life because I knew what to expect in terms of schedules and traditions and events that we would do. Um, and I and I was flexible within that that structure because I knew I was looking forward to um, going abroad to study in uh, uh, in other countries. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's not like I was unhappy. I was very happy, but it was still hard yeah. um, to yeah. know where my place was and also to figure out, okay, what does that mean about this world that I live in? Um, yeah, it was, it was very, uh, there was a lot of structure and security. And at the same time, it was a bubble and that wasn't particularly helpful, especially now as an adult where I'm like, I will never do that to my children. <laughs> Um, I will, I will instantly put my children in public school so that they have an array of experiences, um, that they see, taste, experience, and make friends with. So it's not Mm -hmm. just like a set group of people from a certain socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that all of us at my school were, Mm -hmm. but I wanted a diversity of ideas on sexual orientation and political ideas and um, perspectives on religion, as opposed to saying, this is the one way that you can think. And if you don't think that way, then you're going to hell. Mm. No, Mm -hmm. I happen to be a theologian and that's incredibly incorrect. Mm. That says more about the person who's saying it than the person that they're saying it to. Mm -hmm. So let me just ask you in the, in the bubble where you spent those years, did you feel like, religion and culture were overly enmeshed? Absolutely. (laughs) I thought that culture and religion were steeped in each other. Like you couldn't really separate one from the other. Um, For example, I remember learning about how uh, for our, our, uh, when we were starting to learn about sex and it wasn't, I don't ever remember it being really defined. Um, I just remember as a kid that I hated the idea of sex and I did not allow my parents to have sex. (laughs) I was so grossed (laughs) out by it. And so when I went into middle school and high school and we had these like sex education conversations that were mandatory, um, there was no discussion about whether sex could be had with yourself or with someone who was not the quote unquote opposite gender as you, it was only sex with a man for me, since I'm, I consider myself female and, and uh, that if you, if you chose to penetrate that bad things were going to happen and that, you're you're gonna instantly regret it and there was no conversation about 
the different levels of sex you could have, there wasn't even conversation about this is bad touch. Mm -hmm. If you are a child and someone touched your vagina without your permission, or in my case, uh, touched my, uh, like bit my butt without my permission, then that's called harassment. And, and that's not okay. There was, there wasn't any conversation that I remember about um, talking about molestation, rape, or um, unwanted sexual advances. It was just like, okay, well, in terms of, th- I'm, this is my experience. I may have remembered it wrong or been selective in my memory, but that's concerning to me as an adult where um, it seems very much about, oh, family sex and the theology of sex, God created sex, blah, blah, blah. But there wasn't like a holistic perspective about um, how to protect yourself Mm -hmm. and your rights as Mm -hmm. an individual, especially Mm -hmm. your rights as a woman. I'm pro-life, but I am absolutely getting behind my friends and fellow female um, folks who decide to have an abortion. I will walk alongside them and support mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. in what it what it is that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so having having like depth and and multifaceted discussions was not really in my school's wheelhouse. They they what I remember them having was a woman who uh, they gathered all the girls together and all the boys in one part, which I'm like. I'd, I'd like for us to have to be in a classroom together to learn from each other because this is important stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, as an adult, I would want them to say, to, to bring out like a, a diagram of a penis and bring out a diagram of a vagina and say, this is a penis and give the, the specific words for them so that it's not just, oh, well, uh, I think that I don't even really know what this part of myself is. We're entitled to know because this is how God made us, right? right. So it's, I, I was incredibly frustrated with, with that memory as an adult that what was taught to me came from one perspective um, and that they were sure trying to protect me in that sense. But I really wish that it would have rounded out with more perspectives and also more people who are willing to say, actually, you know, when a child is born, sometimes they don't have a clear cut penis or clear cut vagina. Sometimes the parents pick. And in that situation, some uh, th- these are what occurs maybe down the road for the child where they're like, I don't identify as a girl. I identify as a boy. Right. Um, there was no conversation about LGBTQ perspectives, uh, life backgrounds. And that's not something that we can not tell our children, folks, because whether you believe it's important or not, children and teenagers and adults will encounter folks who do not identify as binary or who who have different preferences or who are on some sort of spectrum. So it's really frustrating for me that, that this was the conversation that we had and mm-hmm. that it felt um, flat and unhelpful Mm. for engaging with the world that we were going to go into after graduating from this tiny school. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, sounds like your experience with the discussion of sexuality or lack thereof, as it may have been, may have also Mm -hmm. been reflective of just the, just the general, um, just the general 
um, religious culture that yes. um, that was surrounding you in that um, through those years. What what do you do? What do you do after that? What do you do on the other side of that? That was so hard, Stephen. Like when I got to my college that that wasn't in the country that I was born in or the country I grew up in, I was faced with culture shock with not knowing how to be in the world. And that's normal for young adults. But for me, it was like a, it was quite an uprooting because when I had understood that faith and life were one in the same, And that all of a sudden, my friends in college looked at me weird when I was like, so do you talk to God? They'd be like, why are you asking me that that question? What if I don't even believe in God? And I was taken aback that my peers were were reacting in in this way. Mm -hmm. And I was embarrassed that I that I stood out in this in this way that um, made me look like a weirdo. Mm-hmm. I, and I wanted to be accepted and heard mm-hmm. and seen as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was very little like road for for transition. For me, I, I kind of had to ping pong a lot. And um, I was exposed to different faith traditions, um, including the faith tradition I'm a part of now. Um, that's a lot more social justice minded mm-hmm. and that writes out statements on a denominational level about um, dismantling white supremacy, Mm -hmm. asking for uh, gun laws that will prevent children from being shot and and killed. Um, So I, I had to find my people and I had to find that by my, by myself um, and figure out, who I was and who I wasn't because I thought that there was uh, that I was going to fit in with a, a popular group called campus crusade for Christ. And I thought, Oh, well their, their theology seems really similar. Their worship seems really similar to when I was growing up in boarding school. Yeah. Um, but then I found out that they, that when we would do like retreats, the retreat theme would be about like evangelizing and that you were, that we were being taught to like um, to just go up to individuals and like ask them if they had accepted the Lord Jesus into their heart or whatever. And um, I felt uncomfortable with that because I thought, where's the discussion piece in this? Or how is the Christian learning from the person that they are talking to? And is the Christian even right? Um, um, it seemed very, it seemed very one way, very agenda ish mm. to me. That mm-hmm. didn't take into consideration the person who was being spoken to. That it was just about like getting them into church or, or, uh, being in charge of their spiritual life by shoving Jesus down their throat. Um, which I don't think is helpful, and which I don't think is loving your neighbor to be Mm -hmm. completely honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There are different denominations that go about that in different ways. But for me, it was what I was seeing and hearing uh, was brash advertising and salesman-ish culture and language 
with um, trying to proselytize mm-hmm. to folks. And I was like, that that's not how I roll actually. And that, that might've been how I used to roll back in high school. I was such a prick, Steven. Oh my God. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> so imagine like being plopped somewhere elsewhere. Um, it's a little bit more liberal minded, quote unquote, whatever that means with um, not believing in one way to do things or mm-hmm. um, that there's just like one deity or one way to, to participate in religion per se. So it was refreshing for me to find folks who um, who had a different approach to relating to people. And, and these people that I found were in graduate school um, who were very intelligent in the questions that they asked, where they did not assume that, um, that they had to be within some sort of guideline of, of Christianity per se, but um, really pushing the envelope and asking tough questions. And uh, so I learned from both my teachers and my peers. Mm. I would learn from my peers as we were um, uh, done studying, sitting at a bar, hanging out, learning about their perspective and why they did the things that they did. Um, and I got judged for it. Um, someone told me, oh, oh my gosh, like you you hang out with professionals who, who drink over the weekend? Yeah, I do. Do you have a problem with that? I want my friends to be people who understand what the world is like and who understand different pieces of the world instead of just staying in one nice, clean line of uh, uh, being being defined by what they don't do as opposed to what they do, mm-hmm. um, which is service, incredible faithfulness, and the ability to think outside the box. Mm. Yeah. Just because someone has a different perspective on the world or on faith or on politics doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong, but it always means that you can learn something from them. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot Mm -hmm. during my time um, in high school and in boarding school. I learned a lot about myself and, and what the community did really good or did really well was um, fostering a sense of this is home and this is us. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt safe. Also, it was a bubble. <laughs> um, and so it was, a, it was a safe bubble. So a little good and bad there, eh? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I, I mean, when you're trying to keep students safe, um, you have to do a lot of things. You have to. It's hard to create a culture that that does that. So mm-hmm. I give them props for for doing that and in their methods or decisions or choices to do that. I think that we as kids missed out on what it's like to be in the community um, and not be so like into ourselves. Hmm. It's complicated because when expats get together, it's important for them to be around other expats because a lot of these people's parents were working in the village or um, working with locals and being being with other folks from their country made a difference. Um, I understand that. And also at the same time, I think that my family was kind of unique because 
we and one other family were the only denomination that was apart from everyone because because we believe in in different ways of doing things like um following an accompaniment model and then Mm -hmm. leaving Mm -hmm. once everything is set once the churches are set leaving Mm -hmm. um and continuing a relationship not ever setting up some sort of dichotomy where oh well the white people who have more money or who are trying to quote-unquote save you um, are now here to help you and help you translate your Bibles. Um, people ought to take pride in their jobs and people have different calls. But sometimes I get scared that when people are quote unquote going around and, um, and putting the Bible into literary forms when they're working with oral cultures, like mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. I hope that you're not just being another colonial presence. Are you, do you love these people? Do you take stock of their culture? Because mm-hmm. you're raising your children in them and your children love these people. Mm-hmm. But do you, mm-hmm. do you understand what it means to be here? Do you think that you are better than these people? Because you have this knowledge about this God, um, that's not even your actual, like that wasn't even founded in your country. That was founded in another country, like in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's odd to me. And I think that folks who are outside of Christian circles are like, what, what are you guys doing? (laughs) Like, it looks so weird and foreign to have these well-meaning people who wear their socks really high to, to tell locals like, you know, we're here to tell you something that we don't think you've ever heard before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, Steven. I see, I see like how, how colonialism has not helped countries like, the countries that I've that I've lived in, and as I studied in college and in undergraduate uh, and in graduate school about how accompaniment and meeting people where where they are and learning from their strengths is so critical to mm-hmm. building a yeah. relationship, as opposed to saying we're coming with all of the power, we're coming with all of the money and all of the influence. Mm. So. Then at the it feels like at the very beginning the scales are already tipped. It's yeah. then the locals are yeah. just like people who are there to receive. Right. And how dare they say we don't actually want what you have to offer? Mm. And then how, how how would they like it's and mm. then how do they ever come to a place where they can stand on their own two feet and say, We know what's best for us and we can you know, if we want if we want more of the Bible, then we can we know how to find it for ourselves, and we know how to study it for ourselves, and we know how to teach it to our own people. If yeah, it's always being taught yeah. to them by by a foreigner. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Interesting. Yeah. And I, it hurts me to see how the country that I grew up in and the country that I'm from, um, had to quote unquote gain their independence from other countries in the 1960s Mm. and that they're still (laughs) they're still more or less in economic shambles Mm -hmm. in comparison to other countries like i hate that we get called 
uh, undeveloped or underdeveloped or as if like Western countries are the standard to which I'm like, well, let's take the United States, for example. <laughs> Americans are some of the um, most obese, most drugged up people on this earth. And it's it's shocking to me that 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 is like the the standard or like that a very powerful country like the United States um, has issues like that when it is like churning out uh, world economy and it's it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I I dislike that that certain continents and countries and communities get seen as like uh, get measured by their assets or by like um, their GDP when it's not indicative of how a community is doing just by looking at their economy. I get so angry when I hear, especially Americans say, oh, well, we went to this this um, undeveloped country and the people were so happy even though they had nothing. You know that you live in a country, dude, that has like Goodwills and that has storage containers full of stuff that people do not want and that people forget and that people make shows about where they say, oh, let's see what's under this garage door of, of whatever yeah. stuff is there. I'm like, you have a disease. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and you think that there's something wrong with the rest of us? Mm. Join the party. There's something wrong with all of us. Mm -hmm. So how about you stop being so proud and mm -hmm. stop being such a bully mm -hmm. and actually swallow your arrogance and sit with us. Mm. Sit. Mm -hmm. Do not stand. Sit. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like you've talked about, you know, some of the hardness of being a TCK. I feel like you've talked a little bit about some of the positives of having a culture that cared for you and perhaps made a lot of mistakes, but we're trying mm -hmm. to keep you safe. Um, and so there's like some hardness and some positives. And perhaps that's the perfect place to transition to our next question, which is mm -hmm. what advice would you give to other TCKs um, to maintain their own well-being? That's a pretty loaded question. I think that uh, the baseline for parents, caretakers, um, friends of TCKs, spouses of TCKs, which is a whole other thing, <laughs> <laughs> and TCKs themselves, is to give themselves permission um, to do things at a pace that's healthy for them. Hmm. Um, I don't want to make it like individualistic, like, oh, no, you do you, bro. Because mm -hmm. um, that's, I think that's kind of the norm. And there's some truth to that. But I think that it's relatively unhelpful to put it in that language. Instead to say that, um, assess who you are and, and what you need step by step. Because every step is going to be different. Um, as a parent, parent, it's different than when you first got married. And uh, as a TCK, um, I know how interesting and, and difficult it is for my partner to uh, look at the world in the same way that I do hmm. because they see it from top down mm -hmm. and I see it from the bottom up. Hmm. Um, and there are like multiple layers there. 
Um, so I would say that the, the most helpful advice that I would give is to is to be patient with oneself and um, pay attention to who you are and what you need in each step that as you go. Mm. Um, because things will be scary, things will be hard, and things will also be joyful and beautiful. Like when you realize, like for me as an adult, that some of the people that I actually graduated with are hella cool. As in like they don't prescribe anymore to what was fed to them as kids and that they come out with their stories and say, hey, you know what? I was molested too. Hey, mm. you know what? It was I, I experienced racism as well. Mm -hmm. um, where you realize that you're not alone and that folks that you weren't sure that you could trust actually end up being people who are really important in your life and who shared an experience with you. So I, the, there are just so many things to learn about life and I think one of the biggest strengths of TCKs is that hopefully we're exposed to a lot of different cultures and ways of being and ways of living. I would say stretch that even even further. Um, use that strength to adapt and learn from other people's sense of security and watch how how they do certain things and ask them really um, um, disarming questions like don't be scared to say why do you do that that way why don't you mm -hmm. know how to do laundry <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe I should be less condescending why don't you know how to do laundry <laughs> I used to wash my own like why do you use like the downy stuff instead of the detergent <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway I, yeah I heard and, so and I, I would also say too that having a sense of humor as you grow mm. is going to be one of your leading edges mm -hmm. if you're able to not take yourself super super seriously and also go through life being open to where you can laugh or where you can make other people laugh humor is is a baseline in so many cultures where um you know that you've understood the culture when you can make a joke in that culture and mm the locals will laugh yeah. <laughs> or laugh at you, <laughs> which is good in both ways. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think those are pretty solid. Yeah. Um, That's good. Cause it's so complicated with how we do life. And um, I've heard of people describing uh, another way of like pairing the identity of third culture kids with global nomads, because we're not so unique in our thing of like, uh, being from one country but growing up in another and moving a lot like we we get told about quote-unquote military brats and stuff like that but there's such an array of people diplomat kids business kids and um folks who travel around um it's it doesn't have to like we don't have to just be in our like little thing of the christian people who raised us and we can only talk <laughs> like there there's a wealth of of connections that can be made. It's just kind of hard sometimes to, to find those. I heard someone say to me, uh, when I was going through something difficult, she said, be as gentle with yourself as you would be with someone else in your situation. And it's just a really good way of looking at things in that yeah. it's normal and healthy to feel pain. Like we feel pain for a reason. If you don't feel pain, that's a bad thing. That's like, that's a disease. It can do a lot of damage not to feel pain. So it's normal and healthy to feel pain. And it's normal mm -hmm. and healthy to feel needs. It is unnatural and unhealthy and unhelpful to ignore those needs and not to acknowledge them because then you can't process them and you can't 
can't get your needs met. So I just love your advice on just knowing yourself and giving yourself permission to process things and to yes. really be in tune with your own needs and to um, express those appropriately to others too and to get what you yeah. need to do well, to thrive. Yeah, that's fantastic. One of my other um, former therapists uh, gave me this quote that I, I think is super helpful. Um, I knew about myself that I struggled with asking for help and that I didn't like that I was needy in one sense of an, or another, even though humans have needs. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not only up to you to like cover your basic needs. Mm -hmm. Like you have to buy groceries from a grocery store, for example, like yeah. you can't go and grow the food all on your own. Some yeah. people do. Wink, yeah. wink. But, <laughs> 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 um, but, but she said, um, when you discover your needs and when you're okay with, with owning those needs, more needs are going to come. So it's just going mm -hmm. to, you're just going to keep learning more and more and more of your needs because you're starting to learn how to take care of yourself. Mm. And I think that's kind of in line with what you were saying about being gentle with yourself. So also like being open to where where you need to grow and that it's okay for you to um be open to your own needs and mm -hmm. not being afraid of them yeah and which you my i guess my final question i know i already said i had a final question for you but my final final question yeah. um is what would you say to people who are looking at taking their family overseas who are thinking is this right for me and my family to um to go overseas and for my children to become tck's what would you is there any advice you'd give to them? Don't fucking do it! <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have to reevaluate a lot of things. So it's not just one simple answer. Just because my experience was mostly shit doesn't mean that yours is going to be. Actually, mine wasn't mostly shit, but there were parts of it that were really hard. Yeah, sounds like there was a lot of hardness to it. So everybody's yeah. got to re everybody's got to evaluate it for themselves, but there's there's probably going to be a pretty substantial cost to pay, and so you have to discern whether or not you're willing to pay it, capable of paying it, yeah. and whether your children are going to be the ones paying for it. Uh huh. That yeah. I think the last piece is so critical because you might be doing your best and then realize as an adult that your children have developed a certain way because of something you could not control that had to do with being in another country, which happened to me and my family. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But also life is life. Yeah. Like if you're just scared, then that's, where is that going to take you as opposed to taking leaps, but also taking them carefully. Yeah. Right. So don't do nothing, but do something with intentionality, carefully, conscientiously. Yes. And with, and with community. And with community. With people who know yes. you. Like ask, you. ask people who, who know you well and um, who can right vouch for you, for you yeah. who can say, hey, actually, to be honest, I'm worried about this aspect for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Wachiwi, for taking the time to come on the show and share your story. I was, I was right in that you just... Call it like it is. You're very real with us. I, I just such a powerful story. It's, it's going to take me a lot of time to process this and to process the content and the emotion that goes with oh. it. You just have a beautiful way of sharing your story. So thank you for sharing that thank with us. You. Thank you. Yeah. 
You've been listening to TCK Care the Podcast with me, Stephen Black, as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs. Hosting and producing TCK Care the Podcast is a part of my ministry, which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week. <laughs>